everyone, and welcome to Aval Cafe. My name is Brian Hosler. I'm the founder of Stormroots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Carolyn Kamen. Hi, everyone. I'm also an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, BC. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone. If you're an expert or a novice, long-time practitioner, or just starting the field, or even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. Today on the podcast, we have Kylie Hutchinson, the Principal Consultant of Community Solutions Planning and Evaluation. Kylie has 30 years experience working as a consultant and trainer in the public and not-for-profit sectors, and you may know her from her popular evaluation workshops and webinars, her books and free online resources, including a mobile learning short course on evaluation for senior leaders or just from hanging out on Twitter, where she goes by at Evaluation Maven. Kylie recently published a new book, a short primer on innovative evaluation reporting, which I'm so excited to read. I have a copy right here in this room with me. Uh, and she's currently working on editing her next book, which is going to be a multi-author collection of stories from other evaluators on learning from evaluation mistakes, which sounds amazing. Uh, Kylie also, her podcast, Adventures in Evaluation with James Coyle, was the inspiration for the Eval Cafe, the podcast you're listening to right now. So thank you, Kylie, for trailblazing evaluation podcasting for us and also for being here with us today. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me, guys. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks. This is great to have you have you on the podcast. Uh, definitely been an inspiration for both of us, as Carolyn said. And today we're going to be doing a bit of a different format. We're going to try something a little fun. Um, Evaluators, I think, tend to maybe be a bit more on the, dare I say, nerdy side. Um, and we have uh, three Star Trek nerds around the virtual table today. So our idea is to uh, talk about Star Trek references, whether they're quotes or ideas or concepts from the Star Trek universe, and just kind of introduce them and say, how are they related to evaluation? Um, I think the general idea is that we'll do just kind of a bit of a round table. We'll just each of us bring forward an idea and just see where it goes. That sounds good. Yeah, Kylie, do you want to get us started? This was your idea. <laughs> it was. Well, I have to tell you guys that the older I get, you, I use a lot of pop culture references in my training, but the older I get, I find that the more blank stares I'm getting. So I was pretty tickled when you guys were um, happy to go to go with this theme. And, and I have to say that my references are pretty much confined to the original Star Trek uh, because I watched way too much television as a kid and this was one of the shows. So Star Trek classic. So you want me to lead off with my first one, is that? Absolutely, I think that would be sure. great. Okay, well, I guess obviously the, the one that really comes to mind with Star Trek for me is the Prime Directive. And I'm guessing that you both have your own Prime Directives. So I'm very curious to hear what those are. For me, the Prime Directive is, and after 30 years in evaluation, I have to say it's engage your stakeholders. And I, I think of the movement that Picard would always do, right? Just engage, right? And it's absolutely engage your stakeholders. I'm working on this multi-author book on evaluation failures, and it's really interesting how often engage your stakeholders comes up. And when I look back on some of my you know, mistakes and 
F-ups and all those, I think, yep, that was it. I, I didn't do that. I didn't engage them early enough at the beginning. And, you know, there's this mantra that I'm always kind of talking about that is very relevant to me in evaluation, and it's people support what they helped create, right? If we want people to use our results, take them forward, then uh, they need to be involved early on and to take ownership and blah, 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 blah. You guys, you know all that. So that's my, that's my first one, my prime directive, engage your stakeholders. That's great. And you know what? I was just thinking my prime directive is so similar to that, but my prime directive is uh, relationships first. Mm. And, and thinking, going into things sort of relationships um, at the core of things as opposed to as a peripheral or an afterthought or even as something you're doing at the same time, putting relationships first because it's so easy in evaluation to let tasks and data and goals and priorities start to get before people. But really, if you're not getting the people and the relationships uh, in there first, you're really, you're sort of undermining the whole project at that point. Yeah, and if you're using a participatory approach, it's absolutely fundamental. You're not going to get anywhere without those relationships. Sure. And I think this kind of ties, the both of them are great. And I think that ties into maybe what's my prime directive is make sure the process, make sure the product, both the process and the product are useful. Make sure it doesn't just uh, end up gathering dust on a shelf that it just is full of jargon and no one can decipher it. And I think if you engage with your stakeholders and you attend to those relationships, then that's going to definitely steer you towards that direction and making sure that, you know, that at the end of the day, the evaluation does have some, some merit, some worth itself to the people you're working with. Well, awesome. So right, right off the bat, there's something that evaluators can learn from Star Trek. Um, Brian, do you have something that you as an evaluator can learn from Star Trek you want to share with Kylie and me? I have tons and I have a whole list here, but um, I'll start with one where it's, um, Less an idea and more of a character, and it's not even just one character. It seems like every series, um, I think we'll focus primarily on on the original series, as Kylie said, and maybe Next Generation, but uh, there's always a character who's kind of both an insider and an outsider on the crew. So in the original series, it's Spock. He's, you know, half human, half Vulcan. He has this kind of somewhat different perspective than the rest of the crew. Um, on Next Generation, it's Data, the android. He's, you know, wanting to be human, uh, but he's this, this android. And then uh, Deep Space Nine, there's Odo, and I can go on with all the rest of the series. But I think it's kind of an important, maybe, perspective to take as an evaluator. And this is true whether you're an internal or an external evaluator, where you're kind of connected into the group, you're, you're building those relationships. Uh, but in some ways, you're also seeing things maybe a little differently, and you can ask questions and you can kind of bring this different uh, different perspective. You can maybe raise some comments that are a bit more critical um, and help uh, the, the team that you're part of, the rest of the crew, kind of maybe see a different way out of things. So that's kind of my, uh, that's my first one I say is, is that kind of that Spock, Data, Data, Odo, hey, and you know, Data, that's, that's an awesome character to, to be an evaluator. It's right in his name practically. So yeah, that's, that's my, uh, that's my first choice. So, so Spock is always saying that's highly illogical, right? So that's something we, we might do as, as an evaluator, wouldn't we? That's true, yeah. But he also kept saying fascinating. You know, he just did that one eyebrow raise and be like, fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> We're about to be destroyed by a giant space amoeba. Fascinating. I think evaluators can definitely relate to Spock and to Data. And I think to Odo too, having to be a, a shapeshifter and uh, adapt yourself to different situations. Oh, so true. Those two are so great. <laughs> I feel a little self-conscious following that up, but 
the first one that jumped to mind for me when I was thinking about, hmm, Star Trek, Star Trek. What if, if evaluation could take anything from Star Trek, what would it be? God, it would be nice to have a universal translator. Oh. You know, that classic Star Trek MacGuffin of like, oh, just somehow we can all speak and hear and listen in the same language or it's, or it's being automatically translated for us, which is actually technology that's starting to exist now, which is very weird. Um, but gosh, I mean, the number of times that you're trying to communicate across so many different people, so many different groups. I mean, how many times do you have a meeting where you get to the end of it and you find out, oh, you've been all agreeing the same time. You just were talking about the same thing with different language because we all approach these problems from different perspectives, whether it's communicating with you know project managers and, and uh, funders and participants, sometimes even other evaluators from different backgrounds because we come from so many different backgrounds that gosh, it would be so nice if there was something that could do that translation work for us. Yeah, the, the overlapping terminology drives me crazy sometimes. Somebody calls it an outcome, somebody calls it an impact, and it's a logic framework and a logic model. And, I, you know, it's not going to change anytime soon. So we do have to be those universal translators, don't we? And, uh, yeah. Actually, one of my choices on my list was a, a Next Generation episode called, I think, Darmok where the translator is working, but not quite properly. So the alien race keeps speaking in metaphors and no one understands, like understand the words, but they don't understand what they mean. So they'd say like Shaka when the walls fell and that meant failure, that the situation wasn't working out. So, you know, you have to take time even still when you're speaking the same language to get to know how you're, how you're using those words and try to understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. We do have to be those translators for yeah. sure. Uh, my turn. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is a big one for me. I think about this quite a bit that, so Dr. McCoy is in the original Star Trek classic is frequently saying something along the lines of, I'm a doctor Spock, not a miracle worker. And I often think this when I find myself, you know, delving into areas of communications like graphic design and, you know, trying to do a two pager and realizing that, damn it, I'm an evaluator. I'm not a graphic designer. I, I, I don't know what font to use and I, I can't pretty it up and I'm, I'm doing my best. And, and, and I have to kind of remind myself that, yeah, I'm, I'm an evaluator and this is kind of something new in my toolbox and I'm going to do the best that I can. And if there's a budget and if I can afford to, I'll outsource this to somebody if, if I if I can't do it myself. But if I have to do it myself, I'm gonna be kind with I'm gonna be kind with myself because I'm comparing this two pager that may not be slick but is highly functional, as data might say. Um, I'm gonna compare this two pager to the sixty page report that I used to. So that's my reference. I think what Data would say is actually that you're functioning within optimal parameters. Am I? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, and I think it's almost like a combination of, you know, Bones is, you know, damn it, I'm a doctor. But also Scotty saying, I'm giving her all I got. Like, there's no more, Captain. <laughs> I'm coming, make the thirsters go any faster. <laughs> you know, we're, we're at warp nine. Sometimes you can't get to warp ten. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
Very true. Yep. And I think that's, that adds to us on my list too, the I'm a doctor, not a, uh, so you kind of snipe my choice there. But uh, I think too, it also kind of points that sometimes we need to clarify our roles with, uh, and expectations with, uh, with the people we're working with, you know, yeah, we're not, we're not miracle workers. We're not bricklayers. We can't do all these things. Um, though sometimes we can pull a miracle or two out of our pockets. Yeah. Agreed. I guess it's my turn. I think my turn. Okay. Well, I said you stole my second option. Um, I think I'm going to stay with the original series and something that was touched on in the last point. Um, so traditional scene in, in Star Trek, they're facing some sort of issue. The warp drive has been disabled and the captain calls down to the engineer, whether it's it's Scotty or to LaForge or whoever, and says, you need to get that warp engine back online. And the engineer says back, it'll take us an hour. And the captain says, you have five minutes. And there's actually... I think there's actually a scene at one point where, um, well, this is getting too deep, but um, I think probably a lot of these engineers, if they were truthful of themselves, they'd probably say like, well, it really takes about 30 minutes, but we'll tell the captain it takes about an hour. And then because we know the captain's going to say, yeah, five minutes, and then we'll scramble, but we're not scrambling too bad. So um, I think for us as practitioners and working as evaluators, we need to be realistic about our time estimates, but kind of also being responsive to the needs of, of the people we're working with, just because... Sometimes things come up and we need to be ready for that, that we can get that warp engine, we can get rejig that logic model, we can complete that report in no time flat, just if need be. So we, yeah, again, we sometimes need to be miracle workers, I think, in our work. Yeah, and, and sometimes I think also we, we miss those windows of opportunity when our decision makers can use the results. So when they say I need it in five minutes, it's not because I just want to make you stay up all night and work extra. It's because they need it in five minutes. And instead of being so tied to our, our process and our data collection and getting our perfect presentation of the results and going through everything, sometimes I think we have to um, just be really flexible and get whatever information we can to these decision makers at the time. You know, we're very clear about what the limitations are or whatever, but if they need it in five minutes, if we're focused on utilization, sometimes we we need to produce something. You know, even if it's look, I'll get and, and I've done this many times. I'll say, okay, I can get you a few interviews and I can maybe write up a case study in terms of what's going on right now. I don't have the other data yet, so this is limited, but I can do this for you. Mm-hmm. It'll be something, and the warp engine won't be pretty, but it'll work. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing with small budgets. Sometimes the budget isn't there, so you work. I mean, the right deliverable at the wrong time isn't the right deliverable. Very well put. I will quote you on that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You heard it here first. Can I tweet that? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's my turn again now. And uh, this one comes out of, uh, like, the next generation, that was my track. That was the one I, I fell in love with first. And so a lot of my references are coming out of TNG. But one of the best villains of all time in Star Trek was the Borg. Oh, of course. And so my next thought was like, okay, I mean, fighting the Borg was uh, an amazing, impossible. I mean, Picard got turned into the Borg. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> I think for a 20 plus year old series, I don't think we have to worry about spoilers at this point. If anyone listening to this podcast has not watched Star Trek Next Generation, pause the podcast and go watch the whole series and then come back and listen to this. It's on Netflix. (laughs) 
Um, I think as evaluators, we also have a role in fighting the Borg, uh, particularly when it comes to um, universalizing programs. I think we've all sort of seen that maybe it's the, the program that has been developed and funded at a federal level with this idea that it's going to be able to be rolled out nationally and they're going to invest so much into piloting, piloting it in a few places. And um, there's those roll-up plans can be really, really challenging. Even when a well-evaluated program that we know works in a certain area, we don't know if it's going to work everywhere if it's, if it's treated like a... Um, a copy and paste kind of program or a cookie cutter program, or even it doesn't have to come down from above. It can even be like those amazing grassroots initiatives that have so much energy and, and transform a community. And then there's this idea of like, wow, it works so great for us. It's got to work well for everyone. And there's this desire to expand it again without thinking about context and, and how, um, how things that can work in one setting can be affected by so many very specific, very local factors. Sometimes even the fact that it did come out of a certain community can be a huge part of why that program was successful. And as evaluators, it's our job to be aware of that, especially when the goal um, around the evaluation is to look at, you know, can we scale this project out? Um, and I think our main weapon in, in fighting the the programming Borg would be to turn to Michael Quinn Patton, who is definitely going to get name dropped in this episode. Um, and, and remember that we should be looking at generalizing principles sometimes mm, as right. opposed to generalizing right. exact specific models. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, if I, if I was forced to sum up evaluation in one word, I would have to say it's context. That's, that says it all. And when you talk about disseminating a program, some of our some of your listeners might not know, but do you re do you guys remember when Krispy Kreme came to Canada? Yeah, and Krispy Kreme tanked. As did Target. As did Target. Exactly. And we all know why Krispy Kreme tanked. It wasn't because they weren't delicious, because they were delicious. Oh, I never had one, but it's. It, but why did why did Krispy Kreme tank? Oh come on, guys! Double double. Oh, yeah, just didn't have, couldn't compete against the, the local favorite. Yeah, Tim Hortons, Timmy's, right? Um, they didn't do their research. They didn't understand the context. Yep. So. Same story with Target. They, uh, the rollout, I read a whole article around how the rollout there was just a disaster because they didn't understand their context. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Americans are shocked when I say that Target tanked. Anyways, we digress. Yeah. Um, who's, is, whose turn is it? I think now? it's yours. It's my turn. Okay. Uh, so... My third reference is to boldly go where no man has gone before, and I bring that up just because that was the original. So to boldly go where no evaluator has gone before. And for me, this brings to mind this, this very blurry line for me about evaluators and utilization and where do we go with change management? How far do we go into organizational development and organization change management? Because I, I, I've spoken about this a little bit before, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just not really sure where that is. Like, I'm trained as an evaluator, and I'm not trained as a change in change management, but I'm interested, and I'm curious, and I'm so, I'm starting to kind of explore the edges of that boundary, and I think that boundary is probably different for every evaluator, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, going to be very interested to see over the next few years where we go as a prof 
as a profession with this and where those where those lines are I, I don't know what you guys think I think uh, I mean coming from a, a very different perspective as someone who's just starting in their career um, and and thinking about yeah where where is this going to end up? Where's the whole profession going to end up? Where's my particular career path going to end up? Am I going to end up stranded in the Delta Quadrant at some point? <laughs> um, and having to make decisions like how much do I want to invest in, in skill sets outside of evaluation? Do I, do I stay an evaluator? At some point, will it, will it, I evolve and change into something um, completely else? Uh, not unlike Kess from Voyager, I just had to get a Voyager reference in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Acknowledged. I think it's a fascinating question and I don't know the answer, but I'm so excited to see what happens. Yeah, I think it's going to be a time of very, very interesting change. Yeah, that, that's a good point around change management. And one of the hats that I wear in my work is around strategic planning. And I've come to realize that strategic planning and evaluation are really two sides of the same coin that in that planning work, you are defining kind of long-term outcomes and start thinking about how you're going to get there and then evaluation is kind of just the next logical, if I can use that word, uh, step on the way there. And then if you're planning, part of that's always looking back to see what's come before, and often that's uh, your evaluation reports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Kylie, you were commenting on all the, the sort of neat post-its I've got up on the wall. It looks like a beautiful mind in here, um, Brian. You can't see that, and our <laughs> listeners can't see it either. But that. So this is actually a project I'm working on with my sister, who is uh, moving into the world of service design. And she is, she's an industrial designer, a totally different career path than, than I took. She, she was the jock, I was the nerd. She went to art school, I went into sciences. Um, but our career paths have converged in a lot of ways. And we're now working on very, very similar things around um, intervention design and evaluation and, and building services that work for people. Very neat. So. Very neat. I wish I could describe the the wall in Carolyn's office. It's absolutely fascinating. I've been staring at it for the last half an hour. <laughs> Brian, do you have something else on your list for us? I got a lot, but I'm going to go to this one here. It's actually going to be a two for one a little bit, uh, talking about developmental evaluation. Um, and there's actually one original series episode, which reminds me of MQP's uh, origin story for developmental evaluation. So I think it's in his development evaluation book where he talks about meeting with an evaluate with a um, working with a, uh, a program team. And they're saying like, you know, formative, summative. Do you guys have any other kind of evaluation between except for those two? And he kind of thinks in the spot like uh, we could do um, developmental evaluation. Yeah, it's a very uh, new practice. And there's um, an original series episode called The Corbomite Maneuver, where Kirk is facing down this ship of immense power and he says we have this secret device on our ship that will completely blow you up if you try to harm us and he's you know he's just completely you know bluffing or coming up with something on the on the fly and that's kind of when I was thinking about that I was like oh that kind of sounds a little bit like the the developmental evaluation origin story so I mean hopefully he was not MQP was not facing down a being of immense power at that point but uh yeah but um I think more broadly around developmental evaluation um, Deep Space Nine, the whole series, I'm going to say, is like developmental evaluation. Um, they, in, unlike the other series, which are much more kind of um, episodic, you know, they're, they're on a ship, they have a strict hierarchy, they have things they do, they go and see people, they visit planets or they encounter beings. Deep Space Nine is on a space station and there's the Federation, there's the Bajorans, the Cardassians, there's all these different groups. There's all sorts of shifting goals and allegiances and alliances. There's different moving parts. There's 
different there's rapid change happening there's a new wormhole there's a war that breaks out all sorts of things so it's really a situation where there's no best practice model you can't starfleet can't come in and say well just run things like a starfleet ship well no that doesn't work here so um it's just a great example the whole series i say of how do you work in kind of the more adaptive fluid spaces and that's i think where a lot of the programs we work in are are kind of heading towards or really already working in that area. So um, just go watch Deep Space Nine. That's, I guess, what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. This is half evaluation podcast, uh, half just shilling for Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think my next one, oh, oh, you know what? We've already talked about the Prime Directive, but there's another great tradition in the Star Trek series, which is, violating the prime directive that's a I, that probably gets done at least once or twice a season in every single series um because i was thinking about you know what okay what is the prime directive the actual prime directive of star trek is uh, a non-interference policy with species that have not yet achieved warp drive right so that you're not interfering with the natural development of um societies and cultures and and that makes a lot of sense uh, especially within the star trek universe of like okay you know let's not you know let's give everyone a chance to develop before you know getting in there and, and bringing all these sort of outside influences and advancing all of their their technology and um i was thinking like okay from an evaluator standpoint what does that maybe that's maybe this is the case of okay evaluators don't go to a program too early when it's still getting it on its feet and start bringing in things like formative and summative evaluation that could, um, you know, hinder it, its its growth. And it and I think that's a, probably a good message. But of course, there's always reasons and times to violate the prime directive because really, as evaluators, we we usually encourage evaluation to get in there sooner rather than later. But I think that's pretty much the argument behind developmental evaluation is it's not don't don't go in too early. It's when you're going in. In the series, it's always for a reason. There's always um, some higher purpose that says, okay, in this instance, then we should uh, violate the prime directive. It doesn't apply here, or there's something else that, that's more important. So I think as evaluators, it's not necessarily never interfere with that developmental, that design process. But I, I mean, clearly all of us on this podcast are very much in favor of developmental approaches. And I think those are the kinds of, of reasons why sometimes that prime directive might not apply. Oh yeah, absolutely. And when I think of, you know, sometimes we're told we have to be kind of hands-off and objective and the fidelity and don't mess with that. But frankly, it's so obvious to me that evaluation is an intervention in itself every time, right? Simply interviewing something. Carolyn's like practically jumping on the couch right now. Every, you know, every time you interview somebody, simply the act, the act of asking about it puts it on their radar. And yeah, who cares, <laughs> right? If it's a good intervention and if it's working towards social change, that's my attitude. Who cares? I, I don't know. I'm not doing RCT, so that stuff doesn't worry me. Yeah, I think we're all a little bit more from the Kirk school of, yeah, just, just get in there. Do what needs to be done. Yeah, it's hard to be a Spock. It's hard to be a Spock. The Kirk School of Evaluation, that sounds like an interesting... There's a there's a Picard School of Management, I think, apparently, or a Picard School of Leadership. There's a Twitter account and everything. We'll find it and put in the show notes, but we'll need a Kirk School of Evaluation. Just go in there and talk the computer to death. I don't know. He always does that, right? He finds a computer that's ruling society, and he somehow talks it to death, which I don't think is how computers work. But anyway, 
we're going really deep on this. At least I'm going really deep on the Star Trek references here. So how are we doing for time? Do we have time for more or? I think we do have time for maybe one more each. One more each? Okay. Well, I noticed I wrote down on my little, my list sheet, I can actually do a Wookiee sound, but I, I realized later on that's, that's Star Wars, not Star Trek. So never mind about that. I still kind of want to hear Kylie Hutchinson do a Wookiee sound. My Wookiee sound? <laughs> Is there a vote? Do we have a? Let's see if I can do it. No, I can't do it. I'm choking. <laughs> so this is the sound you make outside of a client's office when they've like done something to totally drive you crazy, right? You're in the elevator and you go. <laughs> that was better. That was good. Yep, I've made that sound before. Yeah, so I'll leave that as mine. That that's my co- last contribution. <laughs> nice. Um, hmm. Gotta go through my list here. Um. Deep Space Nine reference. There's a real quick one. Um, there's an episode where there's a group of Ferengi, and Ferengi are kind of more like traders and merchants and all that. And one of their mothers has been kidnapped by an alien race. And they originally say like, "Okay, let's form our own like little commando squad and go guns blazing and rescue her." And they do a, a simulation in the hollow deck, and it goes horribly. They 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 can't like kill a single enemy, and they suddenly realize like, "Wait a sec." we should go in as traders, not as like, let's just like, let's do some bargaining with these guys. That's our strengths. And I think maybe it wraps back around to, to your point about I'm a doctor, not a, sometimes we just need to, to play up to our strengths. Um, that's not, that can mean partnering with people on times, but I think, uh, just realize, yeah, like if your strength isn't qualitative, it's in quantitative, if it's in working really at the developmental stages, it's coming later. I think as evaluators, we recognize that and just, yeah, you know, make use of your resources, but otherwise go where you're strong. So true. So true. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to be a Ferengi. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry, I can't help you because I'm a Ferengi. <laughs> I like that you mentioned the holodeck specifically because that's actually my last reference is the holodeck. Um, I guess just like the Universal Translator, um, which would be so amazing to have sometimes. I would also love to have a holodeck or to have spaces we can treat like a holodeck where the whole point of that is like this just box-like room. There's there's nothing really in it, um, but the whole world is in it. Anything can be in it. You can put any kind of amazing world in there, whether it's a simulation of a battle or, um, you know, the uh, Sherlock Holmes storyline, anything you want. And at the end of the day, you end program and you're done. And I would love if we had more approaches um, with our programming and services and the way that evaluation interacted with that, where we got to treat those spaces as experimental spaces, as opposed to, you know, we're rushing to implementation. I mean, sometimes stuff that happens in the holodeck does have real life implementa- uh, implications, uh, like when Moriarty escapes, but, um, just being able to say, hey, this is a space in which we can create and we can experiment. And if something's not working out, we can delete and start again or go back and start again. We don't have to get it right the first time. We don't have to have the finished final product. This is a experimental space. I would love to have that. And, and sorry, are you experimenting with evaluation stuff or with program stuff? I think probably either. I mean, I think I was thinking programming and, and, and I wish that evaluation could support that, like tree, like you know, using our skills to support the experimentation of, you know, we're going to try something and it's okay if what comes back is 
valuation says no good because that just means we've learned what doesn't work and now we can try something else. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have. It's nice to work with programs where you can experiment with new evaluation stuff. I, I, I came this close this year to being able to do social network analysis. I was so excited. But I, I had a relationship with the client that I was able to say, look, I've never done this before. You know, this would be my first time, but I'd like to try it. And if you're willing to take a risk and, you know, we can do this. And it was, it was very comfortable. To, that doesn't happen all the time. That reminds me um, of one approach around prototyping. And Carolyn, you're probably uh, familiar through your sister, maybe with this idea, but uh, um, it's the idea of trying small little experiments where you don't, it's not going to be the final form, but it's something that you can try out and it's specifically as a learning tool. So uh, we, I can include some references for that in the in the show notes. So um, not quite a full holodeck, which would be really cool to have where you can just run a whole program and just get all the results that way. But um, there's some ways we can we can play around with that. I'd love a holodeck for interviewing people. Oh, gosh, that'd that be would nice, be wouldn't it? Yeah. That, I think that's uh, bringing us to the end of our episode. So I just want to say thank you again, Kylie. You have been amazing. But I also wanted to ask you, um, where can we get your books, your amazing books? Uh, yeah, so I've got two books. One's um, a guidebook on developing a program sustainability plan. And the second one is a new one out. It's a short primer on innovative evaluation reporting. And it's available on Amazon, and it looks at why our traditional styles of reporting aren't really serving our audiences that well. I talk about some principles for more effective reporting and some ways to make your key messages stickier, and then I explore some alternatives. So people can find that on my website, communitysolutions.ca, or on Amazon. Thank you so much. I think we have just gone where very few evaluators <laughs> have gone before. Do, 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 do. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for coming, Kylie. Oh, thanks, guys. My pleasure. I was any chance to come and hang out in your cozy office, Carolyn, is a real treat. Ryan, it's so nice to see you on Skype, and my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play, or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at evalcafe, and if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for Poppers and Prosecco, our intro theme, and Dispersion Relation, our outro, as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro.